This week on Creator Upload, Roblox goes public and is going to age with your kiddos. Beeple's NFT sold for $69 million. Everyone wants a piece of creators and Facebook levels up its gaming. Welcome to Creator Upload, your creator economy podcast. I'm Lauren Schnipper. And I'm Joshua Cohen. Lauren. Yes. Are you the anonymous bidder who just purchased a Beeple NFT for $69 million on Christie's? What gave it away? I mean, clearly your aesthetic taste, uh-huh. your um, record uh-huh. player in the background. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your uh-huh. different kinds of wall hangings. Like, I just figured sure. this would be the kind of art you're interested in. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, totally, totally. Now, what is this? Sorry, what, what are we talking about? Can you believe this? Mike Winkleman, who, mm-hmm. sidebar, shares our half birthday. He was born June 20th, June 1981. 20th. Yep. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, he is this artist that goes by Beeple. Okay. And he's probably the most famous NFT artist, digital artist, crypto artist, whatever you want to call it, in history right now. By he, history, you mean two weeks since NFTs is worth a thing? Go yes, on. <laughs> except he just auctioned off for $69 million via Christie's Auction House a JPEG that consists of 5,000 days worth of art. So he started creating one piece of art a day in 2007. Oh, wow. All the way up to a couple of weeks ago. Just auctioned off at Christie's. It was a two-week open auction. Bidding began at $100, ended at $69 million this morning, okay. Thursday morning. And what, and what, and remind, what am I, since I've obviously am the anonymous bidder, what am I getting? What, what do I receive? Technically, you're receiving this in your Ethereum wallet. Okay. On the blockchain. Uh-huh. The ownership of uh-huh. this piece of digital art. Do I get to look at it? Sure, you can display it however you want. Anyone else can Would display I- it however you want too. It's like imagine you have a reprint of the Mona Lisa in your house. But it's a reprint. Like am I printing it or is it like on my computer screen? It's on your computer screen or you could print it out, I'm sure. So I've paid $69 million for for computers. Okay. Got it. Okay. But actually what's the difference asking. like like the Mona Lisa is in the Louvre, right? Sure. What's the difference between that and the reproduction that millions of people around the world have on their walls? Yeah, but at least it can be on my wall. Yeah, but you could put this on your wall too. It's just the ownership of it. Like you own tons of digital assets, right? You own stock. Sure. But you can't hold or touch or feel that. Well, sure I can. When I when I cash it out, I can hold that money in my sweet, sweet hand. And so you could do the same thing with this piece <laughs> of digital art. <laughs> but there's nothing, but stock doesn't, okay. I, I, I see where you're going. I'm in just, and case, I know what it is. I just, I still am having a hard time. A landmark moment for NFTs, for crypto yeah. art. By the way, props to Christie's, which is the kind of very old school auction house, like getting in this space. 100%. And they were also accepting Ethereum by way of payment and for the bids as well, which is very cool. I mean, so cool. Like that's unexpected. But also, if you're not familiar with Beeple and this dude, Mike Winkleman, and I wasn't until 72 hours ago, that's a lie. I wasn't until two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be a better representative of this movement. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. an older dude older Mm -hmm. being pushing 40. Mm -hmm. He is wacky. He's artistic. He's Mm -hmm. funny. He's active Mm -hmm. on Twitter and social media accounts. He gives back to his community. So Mm -hmm. during the time frame where this art was up for auction, he actually gave away or essentially gave away. It cost a dollar for a hundred plus some odd smaller versions of this 5,000 days. So people could go to a website, bid a dollar Mm -hmm. And then there were tens of thousands of people that signed up for this. 
a hundred and some odd people won. And what they won was a random sampling of, I think, three or 500 different pieces of art from this 5,000 days project. Hmm. And almost instantaneously, ones were sold for $100,000 or more. One last question about the art. Is the art, I, I get it, I'm getting it on my computer. Was the art always digital art or was this like a painting that he like scanned? Do we know that? No, he does it all digitally. He's on it's his all computer. He has all these Got 3D it. libraries. It's very Got cool it. to watch him do it. He says he does it, it every day and it takes him a couple hours a day. And this is my favorite quote from him too. Mm-hmm. He got asked a question on Instagram about does it get easier over time coming up with ideas? Because you think over 5,000 days of this, you wonder how he comes up with an idea every day. Sure. And he responded with, brah, don't worry about ideas. Worry about sitting the F down to do your work. Whoa. I love that. You know that. what? I love Truth. that. It's, that's, that's like the whole like done is better than perfect, right? Love it. Love it. I'm a doer. I appreciate that. He's no, He's my new favorite. I love that. I love that. Um, fascinating. Well, I'm excited to read, receive my $69 million worth of Beeple's uh, It'll be art. cool. Send me a picture. Send me a picture. I will. Oh, <laughs> you'll have to pay for it. Okay. So we, there's so many things to talk about this week. One thing before we kind of get into like specific stories, I want to just highlight this story in the New York Times by Taylor Lorenz. Create, for creators, everything is for sale. It's kind of been going around the internet the last couple of days. And basically what, it, it, what she's talking about and what we've been talking about for a really long time is just this sort of diversification of monetization with creators, but more than that, just like how many different sort of new companies have just cropped up in the last probably like 12 to 18 months. And in her article, she talks about, these are the companies that she mentioned, in addition to the platforms, right? New New, which is creating a human stock market, fans pay to vote in polls to control some of a creator's day-to-day decisions. So literally it's like you tell somebody like, we're gonna, what what to wear, where to go, what to do. Discord, of course. Pair Pop, allowing fans to pay for interactions with their idols on social media. It, they say that they're democratizing creator monetization by providing something that makes a lot of sense for creators with either 10,000 followers or 10 million. Stir, which we have talked a lot about on this podcast, which they are seeking to help creators split money for videos they make together. Rally.io, a crypto platform that allows creators to start their own digital currency. Just take that in. That allows creators to start their own digital currency in order to build independent economies with their fans. I mean, this is just a handful. And what she's mentioned in this in this article, which is so how many and there's there's dozens more where this comes from, like new companies are cropping up in this ecosystem. And then before just quickly to piggyback off of that, I'm on LinkedIn, as you do the other day. There's a guy I know who works at an investment bank called Houlihan Loki. It might be Loki. Um And I look at this, and this is like a finance dude I know, and he has done this huge, like, sort of um, research project called Creator Tools Market Update, where he has like a 30-page PDF for an investment bank about our ecosystem. Josh, what is the world we're living in? Discuss. It's finally coming around, right? This was the vision that we had maybe in 2006, 2007, when we started doing this stuff. Yeah. Or is this not even what we could have envisioned or realized. Yeah, I'm like, I'd like to pretend that I was like this forward. I was this forward thinking. This is what I'll say. I was this forward thinking and knowing, like beating down doors with the traditional uh, entertainment, you know, sort of uh, infrastructure with studios and whatever, being like, you need to pay attention to this talent. And, And by that, when I say traditional, I mean movies, TVs, books, like media, that sort of stuff. Like I, I also knew that creators were, like their influence was such that if you were going to have them, 
you know, promote your pair pop, that they should be getting a piece of equity. So I thought in those terms, I never, I don't think I could have ever imagined a day when like traditional banking would pay attention to our ecosystem. I don't think I, I don't think I, I, I could imagine a day when traditional media would, but traditional like banking institutions. No, I don't think I ever thought that. I, I don't think I did. Well, that's just because there's a ton of dough to be made in it. And well, I know why now before, but Charlie D'Amelio and different other influencers are literally moving markets, moving. Markets. I mean, Charlie D'Amelio partnered with Invisalign and the on the earnings call for Invisalign. They talked about how that had a dramatic increase in their sales volume during the course of that campaign. And that contributed a lot to the rise in the stock price. Charlie Emilio most recently just did the deal with Pura Vida bracelets. Have you heard about right. them? Have you seen them? Yes, just I've heard of them. Incredible, probably one of the top 10, if not five, if not three Shopify stores on the platform mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that does just an incredible amount of sales. And I expect, you know, it's not publicly traded, but I expect if they were going to announce, they would announce a big uptick in sales since she did a partnership with them. So all these creators are moving markets and then there's all these industries that are popping up to support them and basically be involved in this ecosystem that at its focus is the creator and their influence. And then what can you do with that? Because once you have a creator and influence, you can do a lot of things. You can do Mr. Beast Burger. You can sell NFTs. You can eventually in the future probably sell stock in yourself or by way of some type of crypto coin like Rally no, I mean, listen... I, you and obviously you and I both believe this. And, you know, I mean, I remember being at VidCon my first year at Facebook and another colleague that was on the TV film saying in front of me, like, like being annoyed she had to be at VidCon and then saying sort of in front of me, like, yeah, all the people that I know, all the people, executives I see here are like people that like couldn't make it in TV and film. And I'm like, I'm right here, guys. I'm right here. Like, but nobody, we were not respected, like for, for believing in this, in, in this ecosystem. And nobody even called it an ecosystem until like six months ago. I mean, this is, but, but you know, what I think is interesting is that shift happened pretty recently, maybe in the past two years, year and a half. I think more even recent than that. Shifted er, er, earlier on, but that shift where this kind of YouTube online video ecosystem was going to supplant and replace Hollywood or these stars were going to go into kind of the Hollywood ecosystem and then make big moves there where now these people don't even care about that because it's not even worth their time. Who wants to be in a movie when you can start a burger chain with 400 locations around the world in three months? I I think, and to your point, I mean, I think the, I think the pandemic like exacerbated this, you know, exponentially. I mean, just like, you know, everybody everybody going live nonstop on all the platforms at the same time. I mean, it's just like, this is where it is. And so, and then, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm like here, w- welcome. We've been here for years. <laughs> welcome, my we, investment banking friends. Come join the we, party. <laughs> we've seen this at Two Filter too, where I think access to these creators is going to become increasingly more important. So there's going to be even a stronger kind of stranglehold on who is actually in charge of these creators? Is it managers? Is it agents? Mm-hmm. Is it the reps at the brands that have the direct relationship? Like who's going to have access to these creators and be able to influence their decision-making? And then who's going to have access to the people that have access to the creators and the creators themselves? So we've seen like way more inbound at TubeFilter, I think, than we've ever had before because we've been this kind of like focal point for the creator ecosystem, for people to learn about the industry and for professionals to go there to get their news. So it's just been interesting 
from that vantage point to see all these new creator products that are launching um, are now interested in figuring out, okay, we've launched this. Now, how do we get in front of the creators too? Well, let's talk about what's actually going on here this week. Facebook Gaming finally uh, reveals the eligibility criteria to achieve partner status. So Level Up is their sort of creator gaming creator program, and that's sort of the equivalent to sort of Twitch's affiliates. So they've, they've just listed out. The big, the big thing here is they've just made it transparent, whereas previously it wasn't. So they've stated minimum eligibility criteria, um, the for the partner program, which is the highest status that a gaming creator can access, and that um, includes the ability to tap into this what this huge array of sort of monetization products, and you know, there's when you're in level, there's level up creators, there's partners, each offer different you know sort of tiers, and so a couple of the things. So if you're eligible for the middle level up tier, if you've streamed gaming ta- content for the least for at least four hours within a two week period over the course of at least two different days, your pages also must count at least 100 followers and have been active for um, two weeks, and you have uh, access to certain, like I said, monetization tools. Partner status is the top tier, right? And so you have to have at least 3,000 engaged followers and. Uh, have earned 200,000 stars, which amounts to 2,000 in a month. You And then what you get, $2,000 in a month, what you get is all these benefits, including, which I think is very interesting, a direct line to Facebook's support team, a private Facebook gaming community group, partner-only invites to gaming events, partner badges, and more. I thought the part where it's um, direct line to Facebook support team was interesting for a couple of reasons, because it's always a question, you know, when I was on the partnerships team, I wasn't working, I worked a little bit with gamers, but not primarily. It was like, how do we decide who to sort of work with? I actually, from from an internal Facebook perspective, I love this because it's really tough to decide because, you know, you could say, okay, well, you're just going to work with the top 100 creators, right? Well, it's not that simple because like those creators have friends. And if those friends of the creators have issues, it's, it's, it's as much as if, you know, that it's the same as if the issue for the main creator, the big creator happens. So you have to kind of, your, your list, you can see how it very much expands where this is sort of very cut and dry. Like you got to have this, you got to have X, Y, and Z, and that's how you got a direct line. So I think we'll see how it actually manifests and, and comes to be. But I think that's from a managing a partner perspective, I, I think that's, it's helpful for Facebook, frankly. I think creators have come to realize this, though, from the different platforms that like, okay, now everything's a little bit more developed. Everything's a little bit more professional. There are certain thresholds you have to meet. So if I'm a gamer and I have a best friend, but that best friend hasn't leveled up to the quality, quantity, and size of audience that I have, then I think it's totally understandable and creators are much more forgiving for the platforms. They realize they have to run the business too, that that person doesn't get the same level of support that I do. They might think it's kind of whack, but they're understanding of it more so than they've ever been before. But getting back to Facebook gaming at large, I keep going back and forth in this. I think if they're able to create a real community vibe and feel here, then I think Facebook actually has something despite the Facebook name in it. We talked with Phil Ranta before, who was leading uh, Facebook gaming in the US, uh, about how the name of Facebook and the branding could be a real detriment. And I still feel like that is the case here. But all the people that we've seen that have joined Facebook gaming have been very 
seemingly, at least the ones that are, are public about it, have been really happy with the experience and committed to promoting it. That could be just because Facebook's throwing a lot of money at them or they're making a lot of money at the platform. But that's mm-hmm. fine, too. If they're not able to foster a community feel and environment around that, Facebook gaming could be a real winner for them and kind of like a bright spot in the rest of their creator efforts where they're getting like dogged every day about what they're doing with Instagram, what they're doing with like DRM and copyrights. I feel like the greater Facebook company at large is having trouble with wins in the creator ecosystem recently. So Facebook gaming could be a bright spot for that. Yeah. I I mean, I think yes and no. I mean, I think there's some people, I mean, you've covered it, you know, that are making a lot of money gaming aside uh, on Facebook. Um, sort of watch and everything like that. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's the constant, like you said, we talked about it with Phil. It's like, you know, how do you make this a more legit gaming platform? And I think this is definitely a step in that direction. And like, despite, I think you got to give them, it's like, there's a little engine that could. It's like, despite like everybody just trashing them nonstop, they're just like, you know what? We're going to keep doing it and we're going to make this legit and you guys are going to see and you're going to get it and we're going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, and before too long, maybe, maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. Who knows? Uh, okay. Up next, we um, YouTube, big shocker, wants them TV dollars. So what are they doing? They are going to add Nielsen measurement for ad campaigns. So basically, Nielsen, of course, is the measurement that television uses. YouTube is partnering with Nielsen to offer ad campaign metrics specifically for content watch on TVs. This is specific, right? So they're trying to make a really big push that like people are not just watching on their computers, they're watching on their TVs. Therefore, we need your TV dollars. So some stats, according to YouTube, more than 120 million people watch YouTube and YouTube TV on a TV screen in December 2020 alone. A quarter of those people watch content exclusively on a TV set with exclusively defined as more than 90% of their total watch time. YouTube also said that um, TV watch time is up across multiple categories. Music content grown over 50%. This is all year over year. Cooking 40%. Humor 60%. Travel 40%. Educational content, which no big shocker during the pandemic, grown 50%. So this is just interesting as they're, they're just specifically trying to tell people their people are watching YouTube on TV and they're they're making a really big push for this. They're also just saying in relation to other streaming services, 82.5% of all connected TV viewership in the U.S. comes from just five platforms, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Disney Plus, and YouTube. Noted Disney Plus has topped 100 million subscribers, by the way, this week, um, only 16 months after it launched. It took Netflix 10 years to reach that milestone. Fascinating. Discuss. YouTube, at any possible opportunity, will tell you in explicit detail about how good their watch time on TV is and the uptick <laughs> in viewership on TV is. Mm-hmm. This has been something that they have been adamant about telling advertisers for the past like four or five years. It seems like every single new front, one of the key metrics that YouTube touts is the uptick in whatever data points they have about consumption on televisions. And I wonder if this was an idea for them from the get-go or just because it's done well, then they've put more time, energy, and resources into it. But it is really impressive, and it's something that no other of these online video platforms have. Like you said, YouTube's in the top five of streaming platforms on television. Facebook ain't anywhere near that. Twitch ain't anywhere near that. TikTok ain't anywhere near that anytime soon. And I feel like you can't really discount the amount of consumption that's happening when you have these numbers and when you have people that this was the most interesting stat stat for me was when Neil Mohan said that the new wave of viewers, many of whom watch YouTube 
only on televisions. That's just wild to me. Well, I think it's just really interesting because the last few years, you know, it's all been about mobile, right? And we obviously saw with the pandemic, everything shipped. Quibi did not last, partly because I think, you know, it was just all about mobile consumption. So it's just interesting because it was it was almost like seen as uncool if you were focused on desktop and, and nobody was really talking about, I feel like, about TV. And now it's like, oh, wait, look, everybody's home. Everybody's watching us on TV. So I just, that to me is just an interesting shift because the conversation has been around mobile for the last several, several years until recently. Totally. And I think you can envision a future and perhaps not so distant future where people are like perplexed that you watch YouTube on anything that's not your TV. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's the trajectory and that's where it's going. It's absolutely wild. It's so crazy. Switching gears for a second, a former Facebook colleague posted on LinkedIn, a newsroom post from Facebook saying, helping content creators diversify revenue on Facebook. And it just goes into all of the ways that Facebook is helping creators monetize. I just think, again, this sort of like comes back to the first thing we were talking about, just like all the ways, like it's just, if you're not thinking 360 in the way creators are monetizing, you're you're not you're you're behind you're 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 out of the game. So talking about earning revenue from short form video, opening more monetization to creators, accelerating fan support. So that's like live. You know, getting into they talk about gaming here and just a full there's like full suite of creator centric product and tools. This is just I don't know. I think as a former Facebooker, it's also just crazy. It's just it's just table stakes now. Table stakes. Yeah, this table is stakes. it's table stakes now. Hundred percent. Great. Yeah. No. Totally. Okay, next up, we're going to get to our creator business you should know about. We're going to hear from the CEO of Magic Links. Hi, I'm Brian Nickerson, CEO and co-founder of the social commerce startup Magic Links. We here at Magic Links provide technology for creators to make their videos on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram shoppable and to earn income through both social commerce and specific brand campaigns. We also help brands seeking scalable, data-backed influencer campaign solutions to identify high-performing creators to launch products with. Our tools not only help creators share products they love and earn income as their fans shop, but they help them create better content and ultimately give them wings to be in charge of their own brand. Last summer, we launched our retail tool, text to shop which provides fans with direct access to shop their favorite influencers' social content through a single text message, particularly on video platforms like YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. With the explosion in popularity of TikTok specifically, Text2Shop has been great at providing a deep connection between creators and fans to take specific actions on a platform where link sharing content has been a little more difficult. Sticking with Text2Shop, texting has been great at helping influencers drive sales during the pandemic. During the holidays, the tool drove more than $200,000 in sales by three influencers in just a 14-day period. Recently, Magic Links became the first certified B Corporation social commerce company. This is a really big deal for us and something we're super proud of. If you're not familiar, certified B Corps are for-profit companies that use the power of business to build a more inclusive and sustainable economy. They meet the highest verified standards of social and environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. The process of getting certified was intense. It included more than 300 plus people hours of documenting and creating formalized processes for many practices that were already embedded in our operations, including DEI, sustainability, community service, and philanthropy through our Magic Links for Good. It was a lot of work, but work doesn't feel like work when you're passionate about what you're doing. Over the past year, Magic Links has also catapulted into a massive growth stage. As a result, our team has expanded by over three times 
and our revenue is at an all-time high. By the end of 2021, we hope to continue our uphill growth trajectory while balancing our mission-focused work, our revenue goals, and our desire for growth and investment. We'll have more than $2 billion in product sales. If you're a creator or brand and you want to become a part of the Magic Links network or you just want to learn more about us, please visit us at magiclinks.com and follow us on Instagram at magiclinks. Thanks. Great. Please go check them out. Okay, Josh, it's time for uploads and downloads. Roblox has gone public. Roblox, well, you, your kids use Roblox. Can you describe what Roblox is? Your kids are a little young for Roblox, right? They are, yes. I, oh, I don't know. You tell me. They're, the oldest one's about to be four. I think that's a little young. Yeah, I think like four or four and a half. My oldest one started to get, to get into it. Um, oh, wow. That was coupled with an a crazy amount of screen time we were letting them have at the beginning of the <laughs> pandemic. I think they were they were clocking 72 to uh, 96 hours a day. Sure, sure, sure. Across their multiple devices. Mm-hmm. But like we spent probably 10 bucks on Roblox two days ago for my kiddo. And it's this world kind of like Minecraft, this open box world where you can go in and you can create your own environments mm-hmm. and mess around in that way. Although it's a little bit more complicated to do that in Roblox and the Minecraft, but then you can create all these different environments and all these other people can go play in your environments and you can actually sell them things in those environments and you can make money from that too. And basically any game that you can play online can be replicated in Roblox. Like my kid doesn't play Among Us, but knows what Among Us is because he plays the Roblox version of that. So he goes around to me talking about how like I'm acting pretty suspect and I'm the intruder. (laughs) And, but he does, he's never played Among Us before. He just knows knows it via Roblox. And then yeah. he goes and competes in these different obbies in Roblox. Like there's a Fall Guys version of Roblox, etc. It uh-huh. has incredible, massive appeal for kids these days. And I think in the future, as these kids get older, they're not going to age out of it. And I think that because we've seen the same thing with Minecraft. When Minecraft first caught on big in YouTube, like eight, nine, 10 years ago, it was mainly for a younger audience and also an mm-hmm. older audience that thought it was cool to design and develop different worlds within Minecraft and more. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now you're seeing like late teen, early 20 somethings still into this game, still into Minecraft. And you see even older people still developing um, different worlds and playing Minecraft and having their own Minecraft server. It's something that these people really haven't aged out of and they just figure out different ways to be more active within the platform and different fun things to do as they age up. Like one of the biggest YouTubers on the platform right now is this gamer called Dream who Mm -hmm. basically has gamified Minecraft. He does all these wild, wacky Mr. Beast style kind of competitions and just concepts within Minecraft. And he also does all these different speed runs. And he's been one of the fastest growing YouTubers on the planet for the past year or so. And he started playing Minecraft, you know, when he was younger and his audience has aged up with him. I think the same thing is going to happen for Roblox. My kid's five now and 10 years when he's 15, no doubt he's still going to be playing this game. And just to give you some kind of like context on the scale of this, at least in terms of YouTube numbers, in 2020, Minecraft had 201 billion views on YouTube. That's up from 100 billion views in 2019. And Roblox had 75 billion views on YouTube in 2020, up from 29.6 billion in 2019. So obviously, like still much smaller than Minecraft or about, you know, half, maybe a third the size, but it's increase in adoption rate and viewership rate was almost 3x 
where uh, Minecraft was 2x. Yeah, I mean, the revenue is up 171% year over year with 939 million. And, and there's also this interesting statistic where newer players to Roblox spend more money than older players do. What are you buying? So you're buying different things in different levels. Like you can go in and play a type of game as different superheroes. But if you want to get a certain sword you're going to use in the game, you have to pay money for that. If you want to get a certain house in the game, you have to pay money for that. Is it a subscription? What's the business model for for Roblox? You you buy like Roblox credits and you spend Roblox credits within Roblox. Got it. And they take a percent, obviously. Yeah, and not, uh, to be clear, not everything costs money. Lots of things mm-hmm. are free, but there are things mm-hmm. that definitely cost money too. Yeah, they said um, Roblox is a leading global platform for shared digital experiences and the only of its kind to empower a global community of over 100 million monthly users to play, imagine, and create together. They also are saying they want to make, they've made a safe place for social. So do you feel like it's, I mean, obviously you're letting your young kids do it. What do you feel like is safe about it? Because that's what I keep hearing about it. Actually, the form, one of the former heads of policy at Instagram is now at Roblox 2, who I love, and that speaks volumes. Uh, but what do you think is safe about it? Why is it safe? That's interesting. I have never even thought about the safety of it. I guess because there's only so much you can do. It's not like someone scrolling around an online video site and then all of a sudden they see an inappropriate video. There's only so much stuff you can do in Roblox and stuff you can create where I think it would be hard to figure out even how to make something that's not safe. There's very little communication, at least for kids my age, that goes on between people playing. I can see how as users of Roblox or gamers in Roblox get a little bit older and they're able to communicate with other people on the platform, that there might be some more safety concerns or issues there. But for kids that are four, five, six that are just learning to read and let alone don't really know how to type into a game they're playing on their iPad. I don't see how you can create an environment with the tool sets that are in Roblox to make like a not safe environment for the kids that are playing it. Fascinating. Well, that is my big upload. Do you have anything else, Josh? Yeah, real quick, a couple more creators jumping in on the NFT train. Elijah Daniel dropped The Clout Market, which is a set of parody NFTs based on YouTubers. They're like a bunch of trading cards. They have funny stuff written about the YouTubers that they represent, like Tana Mongoose for Mm -hmm. Tana Mojo, Mm -hmm. Jarms Charlies for James Charles, Jeffrey Moon for Jeffree Star, etc. You get the idea. I like creative individuals having fun with this stuff. I think it's cool. And then ZHC, who's this big arts and crafts YouTuber represented by Night Media, he's massive. He was on Nifty Gateway, which is the site where Beeple and among other, ton of other NFT artists have dropped a lot of their artwork. So he had a drop there yesterday. I just think it's interesting to see these different creators get involved in this in more artistic ways. Like Logan Paul, we've seen get into it, but I feel like that was from a more business standpoint. He thought it was Mm -hmm. cool and could make some dough. Mm -hmm. These other creators are seeming to figure out ways to make it fun, interesting, and get some of their art out there to the masses who want to own it. I feel like I can see there's going to be a bifurcation of people who are like, really artistic and taking NFT seriously and those that are just doing it to kind of make money. I I already see the headline coming. Totally. That's going to happen. I think 90% too of these NFTs that are being sold now are going to be worthless or near worthless in six, nine months, maybe push Mm -hmm. that to a year or two. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we'll see like lots of other applications. To be clear, it's not just for art. That's what's interesting in it now. But the potential applications for NFTs in the creator ecosystem are very cool. Absolutely. All right, Josh, I think we did it. Lauren, I think we did it. Mm -hmm. 
Am I going to see you next year, people art? Yes. I'm going to print it out and hang it on my wall. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to see you then next week on Creator Upload. Today's show was produced by Lauren Schnipper and me, Joshua Cohen. It's also edited by Jason Kang. Original music is by London Bridge. You can check him out on Instagram at London Bridge Music. Make sure you subscribe to Creator Upload on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give us a rating and leave us a comment too. If you want to talk, hit us up at info at creatorupload.com. If you like our show, please recommend it to a friend. If you love it, recommend it to a lot of friends. Thank you for listening to Creator Upload, and we will be back next week.